Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and his critics say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. There is no greater love than this, to lay down your life for your friends. Stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Well, if you haven't noticed, we're going to do things a little different today. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. Welcome to Christ the King. Thanks for coming to the early service. And as we begin today, I'd like to just pose two simple questions. Question number one, what are you going to do if today is the day God taps you on the shoulder and says it's time to get baptized? Just think about that. Question number two, what do you do to clear your head? I mean, when you're at the end of your rope, when you're completely overwhelmed, what do you do in order to be able to just kind of take a deep breath and, and cope? I can't speak for you, but I go for a long run. Seven to 10 miles, put on my shoes. I whine and complain and tell God about how messed up the world is for three and a half to five miles out. I touch the post at the Pangborn Road. I turn back and I listen quietly as Jesus reminds me that he is God and I am not all the way back to my house. What do you do to clear your head? I want to encourage you not to do something that's become a bit of a YouTube rage. It's called blending. Blending is when you take something that represents everything that's creating stress in your life, you put it in a blender, and you just hit pulse. Daniel Petrie of Los Angeles, California, was so frustrated and stressed with his wife's online shopping, so in a fit of rage, he grabbed her phone <laughs> and her credit cards, put them into a blender, and hit pulse. Note to self, before you do that, unplug the phone and put a lid on the blender. Because Daniel Petrie <laughs> electrocuted himself and spent three hours in surgery having shards of plastic removed from his face, okay? In his words, according to the article, he goes, my ninja blender really lived up to its reputation. <laughs> 
What, what do you do to just clear your head? You walk, you pray, do you play Sudoku? I don't even know how to pronounce it. You can tell I don't play that game, right? How about fishing? Peter's had a rough couple of weeks. He's been named as the foundation of the head of the church by the head of the church himself, Jesus. He's front and center as Jesus rides into Jerusalem. He's been watching as Jesus has been hailed king and he's doing governmental math in his head. If Jesus is king and I'm the right-hand guy, that makes me a prince. Peter makes a bold declaration. Jesus, no matter what, I will never ever deny you. And then it all went downhill from there. Jesus is arrested. He's falsely accused and tried for blasphemy. The disciples run away. Peter's put on the spot by a little girl. She says, you were with him. And Peter denies even knowing Jesus. Not once, not twice, three times. Peter cries. Jesus dies. Peter cries some more. Jesus comes back to life. And Peter freaks out. He's a mess because he knows what he did. He's at the end of his rope, so he decides to do what fishermen do. He goes fishing. The Bible says it happens this way in John 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. We're going to put a picture behind me. Those of you who've traveled with me in Israel will recognize that view from Tagba, the place where Peter is restored. And you might even recognize the boat because we take a ride on a boat like that and so we've got this modern ancient thing. I want you to just come with me to that beach after Jesus appears to his disciples. And then the Bible says it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. Stop there for just a second. It's just time to clear the air, right? They just got to get a picture in their head because this was not the way it was supposed to have gone. This was not the plan, at least the way the disciples understood it. They thought they were going to be ruling in Jerusalem and taking over the world by now. And then Jesus had to go and do this dying thing. And then this resurrection thing. It's just like, what in the world is going on? And so Peter says, I'm just going to go fishing. Story continues. So they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. That sounds like my experience with fishing, all right? <laughs> nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, have you any fish? And I get stuck there. What do you mean friends? Did you see who's in this boat? You've got Peter the failure, Thomas the doubter, Nathaniel, the virtually unknown, James and John, the sons of thunder, right? They were the boys that were known for their big mouths and two more guys that aren't even worth mentioning their names, right? Friends, I wouldn't call them friends. This is a group of deniers, doubters, abandoners, and sinners. I mean, let's just be really, really honest. What do you mean friends? But I, I, just, I love the humanity of this moment because think about it. What's the first question you ask a fisherman when you walk up to them on the bank? Caught anything? Right? So natural, so human. It's just so, it's just so Jesus. But not the Jesus most of us think about. Not the Jesus the world is obsessed with. And I'm going to tell you something, having traveled the world, the world's obsessed with Jesus. 
And they're either obsessed with vilifying, dismissing, or diminishing Jesus. I mean, they've been at it for 2,000 years. Or they're struggling with elevating him, worshiping him, and trying to figure out what it was that he wanted us to do. The world seems to have no problem with a one-dimensional stained glass caricature of Jesus. They like him. He's a nice guy with a nice message. And as long as he minds his own business, it's all good. But Jesus has this annoying habit of actually not minding his own business. And that gets a little messy for people. So what I would call deniers, doubters, and abandoners, apparently Jesus has a different name for them. Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Story continues. He said, throw your net on the other side, right side of the boat, and you will find some. That's crazy. I mean, just think about it for a second, right? Jesus interrupts a perfectly good night of fishing with this ridiculous suggestion. Just take your net from one side of the boat and throw it on the other side of the boat. I'm like, it's the same water. It's the same lake. What are you, what, what kind of a suggestion is that? It's like, don't throw your hook there, throw it over there. Maybe you'll do just a little bit better. That's crazy talk. Unless you keep reading. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's a guy by the name of John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. I picture Peter responding this way. It's Jesus. Oh, yes. Oh, no. Because in that moment, all the failure comes flashing back in on top of him. I'm sure he re- re- replayed in his brain over and over again, just saying, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And for the next number of weeks, we're going to step into conversations just like this. Because when you're in a critical life moment like this, I promise you, you're going to hear multiple voices competing for your attention. Peter's hearing them all. So I listen to them in your outline. There's five this week, some weeks there'll be four, some weeks three, some weeks two. But in this week, we're going to look at five voices in critical life moments. So put yourself in Peter's shoes, in the boat. John just said, that's Jesus. And everything that just starts spinning inside of your head and your heart. I promise you, one of the voices you're going to hear is the voice of Satan. That's the loudest voice and the most condemning voice. It's the voice of accusation that says this, Peter, you're dead. You're dead. You're a failure, Peter. You're not a rock. You're a pebble. You denied Jesus. You blew it. You, you are your worst moment, and you're never going to live this down. You better start swimming in the opposite direction. You're going to be judged. You're going to be ruined. You're going to be hurt. I mean, you, you took denial to a whole other level. Just so you know, when you hear that kind of stuff in your head, that's just Satan living up to his reputation. Bible tells us that's what Satan does and how he goes about it in Revelation chapter 12. It's wrapped in a verse that also says our sin was great, but his love is greater. Revelation 12, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God. All night and all day has been hurled down. All night, all day. Satan just stands there. You are nothing more than your worst moment. Deal with it. That's a primary voice. You're going to hear it every single time you're struggling. 
And there's another voice. It's kind of a sad voice, actually. It's the voice of our false self. I would call this the voice of shame. And I've learned from my experience, anytime the accuser comes, there's this inauthentic part of who I am that actually believes him. And I always use these same words. You're right. You're right. That's what shame does. I will never be anything more than a denier, a doubter, a sinner. I mean, for years, you think we'd finally get a clue, but Satan lies and we buy it every single time. But way off in the distance, there's this echo. And this echo pushes back against the lie. It's the voice of your authentic self. It's that thumbprint of God that God put in the center of your soul. And I would call it the voice of truth, not because of what you're saying, but because of things that you've heard Jesus say. And it interrupts the lies and the condemnation with these powerful words. That's the accusation, and it may even be true, but Jesus said. You see, Peter heard some things from Jesus. Peter heard Jesus say, upon this rock, I will build my church. And I'm sure he freaked out, but it didn't change the fact that Jesus said it. That's who you really are, Peter. Peter had heard Jesus say, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Peter had heard Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Peter had heard Jesus say in, in all different kinds of ways, in this world you will have troubles, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Peter had heard Jesus say, I have come to save sinner. So he hears this voice of truth start to stir inside of his soul and it rings true and it pushes back against the condemnation. And Peter gets stuck in his own head because Satan's talking, his authentic self is talking, his false self is talking. And then a real voice actually just breaks through in that moment. It's the voice of a friend of sinners. I call it the voice of direction. A guy by the name of John. And he says four words that just flips the story on its head. It's the Lord. You know why I love this voice? Just simply because it's there. I mean, think about it for just a second, right? Peter is the classic failure in all of the drama that created both the crucifixion and the resurrection. I mean, he is, he's not the villain that Judas is, but he's, he's, he's like at least in the top three. He's the failure of the story. You would think that everyone would have taken a couple of steps back from Peter. Let's not hang quite so close because eventually we know he's going to get his. And instead of leaving him alone in his failure to isolate and shrivel up and battle the voice of Satan on his own, this group of guys becomes like Jesus. It's okay, Peter. We'll hang out with you. Friend of sinners, they stay in the game, they press in, they don't pull back. They live out what years later, the Apostle Paul, who described himself as the worst of sinners, said to do in this situation. Galatians 6.1, brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourself, or you yourself may be tempted Christ the King, can, can, I, can I just say this? The world needs more disciples like John. Disciples who aren't afraid to get elbows deep in somebody else's mess. Disciples like, like John who are willing to go fishing with failures and just keep pointing in the same direction over and over and over again. I know you're hurting and I know the devil's lying to you, but here's the deal. You see right over there? That's the Lord. Right over there. 
This is where the story gets great. Okay, the passage continues. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped in the water. Okay, let's just stop there for a second. Used to be a lifeguard back like in my college days. That's not bright, okay? You don't wrap yourself in wool and then throw yourself into a lake. You just don't do that, right? One of the first rules, right? If you know you're going to be in the water for a long time, you may want to strip a couple of layers off because they're going to weigh you down, take you right to the bottom of the lake. I mean, the last thing you do before you throw yourself over the side of the boat, you don't get dressed, okay? Unless you're in the Bering Sea putting on one of those survival suits, okay? It just doesn't make any sense. So I'm looking at the story this week. I'm going, why in the world would Peter wrap these clothes around him and then throw himself over the boat? It makes no sense unless... The last time you threw yourself over the side of the boat, you got to walk on water. Peter's just like, man, it worked the first time. Woo! <laughs> now he finds out pretty quickly the water's not as solid as it was last time. So he starts swimming for shore. I'm going to swim towards Jesus. I can't trust my inauthentic self. Not even sure I can trust my true self. I'm certainly not going to trust Satan because he's a liar. So I might as well just head for the beach where Jesus is waiting. Verse 8, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. And they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. There were fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've caught. Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Okay, let's just stop here just for a minute, just for kicks. Every time we go to Israel and we go to Tagba, which is the place where this happened, it's known as the place where Peter was restored. What we do is we all gather together, we, we read this scripture, and then what follows where Peter is restored, and Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? And then I send everybody out across the beach, and so I want you to pick up a pebble, because everybody's got somebody in their life that you think may be just a little bit beyond being restored, and we're going to pray for them right here, because if Jesus can restore Peter, he can restore anybody. And some of us go home with our pockets full of pebbles as a reminder of that moment. We usually spread out for prayer and then we come back together and inevitably, it's happened every single time that I've gone, somebody comes up to Sam Markarios, who's our guide. Sam grew up in the old city of Jerusalem. He's a Messianic believer. He loves Jesus. He's a Hebrew. He speaks fluent Hebrew. He's also a historian and an archaeologist. I mean, he's just done so many different parts of the, this amazing thing in Israel and someone always comes up and asks the same question. Okay, you're reading it and then it's like, What's up with the fish count? 153. What's up with that? And Sam always gets this twinkle in his eye, okay? He gets this twinkle in his eye, and he goes, I'm going to share an interesting little tidbit with you, just so you know on the front end, okay? It's just an interesting little tidbit, okay? Um, it's not something to build your theology on. If you do, you're going to go totally off the, out into the weeds. Uh, I'm certainly not promoting numerology in any way, shape, or form, but Sam says, to those of us that are Hebrew, it's just so unbelievably obvious, 
And by the way, if you Google this when I'm done, you'll find a whole bunch of critics and skeptics that'll say, that's not true. Okay. I'm going to stick with my Hebrew brother. He explained to us, he said, you know, Grant, what you need to know about Hebrew is that it's an alphanumeric language. So each letter also has a corresponding number. You put the numbers together and you just see how, how meticulous God can be in some of the details. And, and so when someone comes up and asks Sam, you know, well, what, what, what's the deal with 153? He will say this. He goes, to my knowledge, there's one single Hebrew phrase that alphanumerically adds up to 153. It's the phrase, Ani Olhim, we would pronounce it Elohim, and it's literally translated, I am God. That's just cool. Keep going, all right? One more voice that needs to be heard. The most important voice, more important than your authentic self, it's the voice of Jesus and it's a voice of invitation and reputation. I want you to think about this for just a moment, all right? Of all the things that Jesus could have done to celebrate his victory over death and his triumph over sin once and for all, I mean, of all the things he could, think of all his options, right? He could have redone the transfiguration and just glowed for everybody, right? He could have summoned back the incarnation choir from Christmas and had a hymn sing right there on the side of the beach. He could have looked around the Sea of Galilee and turned every single rock into bread just for kicks. He could have done anything he wanted to, but this is the way he chooses to celebrate his resurrection, victory over death and victory over sin. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Hey, let's go to our diner and have pancakes. Let's drink hot coffee and talk. Breakfast with sinners. Fish with failures. Bread with the broken. I'll tell you something. That is not a one-dimensional stained glass Jesus. That's a king. That's a savior. I better wrap up. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. It's almost as if he's saying, okay, boys, here's the deal. I'm going to need you to eat up. You're going to need your strength. We're just getting started. There's some really cool things coming. By the way, you're going to turn the world upside down. Oh, yeah, by the way, I'm leaving Oh yeah, by the way, it's okay. I'm going to send somebody else and they're going to look after you. And 2,000 years later, believe it or not, here we are. Walking in the legacy of a friend of sinners. So I got a quick question for you. Uh, In this critical moment right now, who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to your accuser? He's always going to say the same thing. You're a failure. You're worse than Peter. You've never amounted to anything and you're never going to. That's the voice of the accuser. Are you going to listen to your false self that says the same thing every time? You're right. Jesus doesn't love me. I'm too broken. You're right. Are you going to listen to the voice of truth? If you confess your sin... He is faithful and just and will forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Which voice are you going to listen to? I have a challenge for you this morning. Coming out of this story, Peter heard the voices and he battled in his own soul. 
And then he made a strategic decision. As soon as he heard the words, it's the Lord, he was over the side and headed towards the beach. Peter knew that being restored and reconciled with Jesus was going to put pieces back together again in his life that he would never be able to do on his own. And he also understood something else. In order to get to the beach and get to Jesus, he had to get wet. How about you? In a moment, we are going to baptize people. We've got some folks backstage. They did the class. They have acknowledged Jesus has called them to go public. But I want to talk to you right now. You showed up today. I remember when we came up with this crazy idea. I said, I think we want to do a spontaneous baptism. I think we want to do that. And we came up with 37 reasons why we should not do that. It's move-in weekend for most colleges. There's lots of families that are gone. I mean, we're a little short-staffed with our, with, with our staff right now. And then Derek Archer tore his Achilles yesterday, so we're down another person. I mean, we just had all this stuff going on. All of these reasons, all of these reasons, all these reasons. And I just kept coming back to the same thing. It's just kind of like, you know, it, it's probably the worst timing, but if God tells us to do something, I just think we're supposed to do it. And I think God's telling us to do it. So see what happens. See what happens. The very beginning of the service, I asked you a question. What if today was the day that God wanted you to go public and be obedient? I promise you, if you're working that through, right now you're hearing voices. Some of them are the voices of practicality. You didn't bring any clothes with you to change into. We got clothes. You don't have a towel. We got towels. You're too broken. With all due respect, can I ask a question? Says who? Says who? Jesus said, I've come to bind up the brokenhearted and set captives free. You may feel too broken. I'll tell you what. I know a God who can put incredible things back together again. Some of you are going, well, I'm a responsibility person. I missed the class. And I'm struggling with shame because I chose... I chose Russell Wilson over Jesus last Sunday morning and I missed the class. <laughs> Don't the devil push your shame button. Make a decision today. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And you do have a choice. You can stay, you can stay in the boat. You can listen to the lie. The beach isn't worth it. You just got your hair done. Just, I mean, play it safe. What are people going to think? You've been around for a long time. I mean, people are going to think you, you turn into a Bible-thumping Jesus freak. Oh, what a terrible thing. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do right now. Would you pray with me? Father God, would you give courage to those in this service? God, I don't care if there's one or none or 10 or 20 God, would you give courage to those who today are being told by the Holy Spirit of God right now, this is your moment. It's okay. I know all about the failures. I know where you've missed it, but, but I'm God and I'm a friend of sinners. So take me by the hand and, and let's go do this. God, give us courage in this moment to follow what you are prompting us to do. 
And I thank you so much that we have a God that not only eats with sinners, but calls them friends. So God bless us now. Because we're going fishing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.